Today's reading of God's Word comes from 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. You can find them in your Pew Bible on pages 290 and 291, or in the following Jesus Bible, pages 361 and 362. Now when the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a great a very great retinue with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came, and, and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as those that the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Haram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almagwood and precious stones. And the king made of the almagwood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almagwood had come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. If you have little ones first grade and under who would like to go uh, across the way to children's worship, where uh, we have a sermon that is uh, written for them from this same text, uh, we invite them to line up with Miss Brittany and Mr. Chris and our volunteers as they go across the way for children's worship. So a decade or more ago, I made a statement from this pulpit that scandalized uh, some of our members. And the statement was this or something like it. I think it would be a healthy goal that within the next 12 months that every member of our church would have a close friend who isn't a Christian. My basic premise was that if you don't have anybody who is close to you but far from God, then you're going to have a hard time with two things. First of all, if you don't have any family or friends that are close to you but far from God, who are you going to tell about Jesus? With whom are you going to share his message? That's the last thing he told us to do before he ascended into heaven. So that's a problem if you don't have any close friends that are uh, not in relationship with God. But problem number two, if you don't have friends or family who are close to you but far from God, how will you ever be able to communicate to a non-Christian in a way that makes any sense whatsoever? 
it becomes very easy for Christians to get so surrounded by Christian friends, Christian uh, community, uh, Christian thinking that when we try to talk about God or reality, it kind of sounds like gobbledygook. We have a hard time communicating in a meaningful way. So anyway, I encourage this congregation to examine their friendships and to invest in friendship with people that don't follow Jesus. You can probably guess the complaints I received. Well, how can we have unbelieving friends and not become just like the world? Aren't we supposed to be separate from the world? John tells us to, 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 not, to not love the world or the things in the world. And what about my kids and the bad influences in the world? Those are good questions. Those are good questions worth considering. But in today's text, I think we find a good argument for my position and an excellent example of this kind of friendship. This friendship between King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba is so noteworthy that Jesus later mentions it. So, if it is a value to cultivate friendship with people that don't share our faith, people whom we would consider far from God, what should those relationships be like? Of course, I'm not implying that you should have relationships that ultimately deteriorate and tear apart your faith or endangers your children's faith or anything like that. No, we want these kinds of relationships to be redemptive. But what do I mean by that? A redemptive relationship is a two-way friendship with a non-Christian that leaves them more open to the gospel, if not believing, that, believing it altogether. This whole sermon series about leading well, how can we lead like Jesus? An important part of being a Christian is influencing the people in your world to know more about Jesus and to be open to following Jesus. You are functionally, if you're a Christian, a public representative of Jesus and his kingdom. And so when people interact with us, they should be seeing something of Jesus. And we would hope that they would be more open to Christ. Now, that's the goal. We want people to be more open to Jesus. We want people to believe in Jesus. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Jesus's message, when you start to dig into it, when you see the things Jesus actually said during his ministry on earth, they can be very offensive. The gospel itself is a stumbling block for a lot of people. That's fine. Jesus is who he is. He said what he said. He's the king. We trust what he said. But we don't want to go into a friendship expecting that somebody's going to be offended or even hoping that they're somehow going to be offended. No, we want a a friendship with our neighbors that is so honest, so gracious, so enjoyable and meaningful that your friend could look at your life and say, if this is what a Christian is like, if this is what Jesus is like, Well, then I might be interested to know more about Christianity. I might be open to this idea. And at the end of today's text, Solomon and the queen enjoy a mutual respect and an openness to Yahweh God. My argument then is if Solomon can have a friendship like this with someone who's not necessarily a follower of Yahweh God, you can too. Let's take a look. So we're going to start with the end of the text. Look at verses 6 through 10. And then we'll jump forward to verse 13. And the queen, this is verse 6, And the queen said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I didn't believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. 
Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be Yahweh. When we see Lord in small caps like that in the Hebrew, it's actually the divine name, God's name, Yahweh. Blessed be Yahweh your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because Yahweh loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came uh, such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Now we'll jump to verse 13. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked, besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. So the queen of Sheba after spending a significant amount of time with Solomon, walks away, not only appreciating him, but also appreciating his God. One could argue that she actually goes away believing in Yahweh God, but there's no definite indication in this text or others that she converted to worshiping only Yahweh. What can we say with confidence, though? First, we can say that she was definitely impressed by Solomon's wisdom. So the queen tells Solomon, I heard the stories about you, but they didn't tell the half of it. Your wisdom surpasses everything that I was told. That tells us she's listened to Solomon. She's listened, uh, spent time with him, hearing his beliefs, his reason, his wisdom, and she found that wisdom compelling. He communicated well with her. He thought well. And clearly it was a divine gift. She was thanking God for giving Solomon this wisdom. She was impressed by his wisdom. Secondly, she also appreciated how he cared for the people in his life. Look at verses 8 and 9. Verse 8. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be Yahweh your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because Yahweh loved Israel forever. She's really, she might be a believer. She's really close if she isn't. Because Yahweh loved Israel forever, he's made you king. That you may execute justice and righteousness. When she looked at how Solomon lived his life, when she looked at how he led the people under his care, what did she see? She saw justice. She saw righteousness. She saw wisdom. She saw a good and godly king. It wasn't just his ideas and his wisdom that impressed her. It was his way of life. It was his way of leading and influencing people that impressed her. And when she saw all this, she couldn't help but honor his God. She thanks Yahweh for putting him on the throne of Israel. Why? Well, clearly in her time with Solomon, he had pointed her toward God. She saw him make offerings in the temple. No doubt she heard him praying. She probably had conversations with him about his God. Maybe he had even told her where this wisdom had come from. No doubt he had probably told her the whole story of Israel. It says, Yahweh has loved Israel. So he's probably told the story of how time and time and time again, God had showed his love to his people. Well, given, given what he said in 1 Kings 8, like two chapters back, you remember that? This is last week we talked about it. When the temple was built, 
What was one of his hopes? What was one of his expectations? That foreigners would come to Israel to know Yahweh God. So I really think as Solomon is sitting down eating with this woman, he's talking about the Lord a lot. He's telling her what he's doing to save the world. So what caused her to honor God as she's leaving to go back home? It was Solomon's wisdom and Solomon's way of life. Both of them said something about his God so that she could only thank his God for what she observed. Now consider this. You could have this same kind of friendship with someone who doesn't know Jesus. You could have a friend who's close to you but far from God, who's so close to you that they hear what you believe, that they can observe your way of life, and they can grow to admire your way of life. And it leads them to conclude that maybe these things in your life are because of your God. So how did Solomon pull this off? How can we have these kinds of friendships with folks that don't know Jesus? Friendships that result in mutual respect and even openness to the gospel. Well, I don't think it comes from intentionality with a specific person or group. And I'll talk about that in a second. No, I think it comes from changing your approach to life and relationships. What I don't think Solomon did, I don't think Solomon sat down, wrote a long list of all his royal colleagues and said, hmm, seems like the Queen of Sheba is somebody that I could really intentionally influence for God. Let me be really intentional with her. I don't think she was a pet project of his. No, Solomon just lived his life differently. He did his job as a king qualitatively differently from his peers because he was doing it for God. And the queen took notice from afar because reports were spreading. This is a different kind of king. It's a different kind of kingdom. Solomon had a different approach to life and relationships. So let's think about what Solomon did differently. The way that Solomon relates to the queen, the way that Solomon relates to the people, I think is a foreshadowing of Jesus. We see something of Jesus in this chapter. Now, in the next chapter, we're going to see some ways that Solomon is not like Jesus. But in chapter 10, we see him operating and relating to people in a way that's a lot like Jesus. So if you want redemptive relationships like Solomon, here's my argument, aim to make relationships like Jesus did. If you want these kinds of redemptive relationships that end in kind of a mutual respect and an openness to Yahweh God, aim to make relationships like Jesus did. So don't get me wrong, Solomon's a good example of how to relate to folks. That's why I'm preaching from this from this text. But Jesus is our preeminent example. And when we look at the life of Jesus, when we see how Jesus interacted with everybody around him, we see a pattern of how he related. And this is what I see. In Jesus' life, we see a pattern by which he lived his life and related to people. And I'm going to explain this in depth. He began with an openness to friendship that led to palpable acts of service and then to an invitation. We're going to unpack all that. So openness to friendship leading to palpable service leading to an invitation. But every step, all three steps in that were undergirded by a liberal speaking of the truth. Let me explain. First, Jesus had an openness to friendship. Jesus would eat with just about anybody. If they weren't adamantly opposed to his message, he would eat with them. So in the Gospels, we see Jesus eating with sinners 
tax collectors, and Pharisees, people that are super hyper-religious and, and even seem opposed to, he would still eat with them. We don't see Jesus eating with Romans, which is notable, but God sent him specifically to the people of Israel. So that's another sermon for another day. I think the point stands, Jesus was very open to eating with a lot of different kinds of folks. And what would they do as they ate? He would liberally speak the truth. How many of Jesus' parables and key teachings were unfolded over a dinner table with acquaintances or with new friends? I mean, it's like pretty much, you read the Gospels, that's a whole big percentage of those books. But what usually happened next after Jesus established a connection with someone? Often the next thing is palpable service. He would serve them somehow or he would say, okay, now come serve somebody else with me. Great example. When Jesus called the disciples, the 12 disciples said, hey, guys, come follow me. Did they believe in Jesus yet at that point? Did they know that he was the son of God who was going to die and be raised from the dead? Oh, wait, I've got nowhere to be. No, they didn't believe yet. They had some inkling that he was special, that he was different, he was a good teacher. And yet he was telling these guys who didn't believe his message yet, didn't know his message yet, he's saying, come with me. Let's go serve together. And then as Jesus was serving people, what was he doing? Speaking the truth liberally. He's telling them why he's doing what he's doing and in whose power he's doing what he's doing. So Jesus, as he's serving, is constantly pointing people back to God the Father and his unfolding plan to save and restore the world. Again, this sounds a lot like Solomon. Now, here's my asterisk to this. Any model breaks down. Did Jesus only serve people once he'd had a friendship with him? No. You can swap those two. Sometimes, depending on the text, you can eliminate some of those. But as a general rule, I think we see a pattern in Jesus' life. So don't put too much pressure on this little pattern that I've put forward. The point I'm trying to make is this. As people get to know us and our beliefs, our actions prove to them what we really believe. It doesn't matter what you say you believe. It does matter, actually, but... Your life proves what you truly trust. So let's think about the typical evangelical approach to reaching the lost. We're evangelicals, right? We're part of the EPC, Evangelical Presbyterian Church. What do we usually do? We want to reach somebody that doesn't know Jesus. We lead with words. Sometimes with a relationship, we think if I can get to know somebody and then tell them about Jesus, tell the gospel to them, maybe they'll believe or maybe I can invite them to church. Why would anybody consider your faith? Why would anybody want to come to your church if your life looks the exact same as theirs? Our lives and our love for others is one of the most compelling proofs that the gospel is true and that what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection actually transforms a life and can transform the world. So I'm advocating for a different approach. Yes, have friendship, eat together, but talk about Jesus always. 
And then the second essential step is serve these people or invite them to serve with you. Then once they've heard your faith, they've seen it in action, both at a dinner table and as you serve, then the third step is to make a more direct invitation. Why don't you believe in Jesus with me? Why don't you come to my church and experience a community of faith or come to a Bible study or something like that? So I'm not telling you to pick a person. I'm going to have a redemptive relationship with that person uh, that I'm going to make a hard sell to really soon. No, what I'm inviting you to do is to shift your whole approach to life. To shift your whole approach to relationships, I'm inviting you to adopt some new priorities overall in your life. Specifically, if you want redemptive relationships with non-Christians, I think you've got to prioritize these three things in your life. Not just on Sunday, but around the clock. And they are hospitality. I said that kind of weird. Hospitality, service, and courage. If hospitality, service, and courage are not at the bedrock of your life, it's going to be really hard for you to have these kinds of friendships. Let's talk about each of those. First, hospitality. Imitate the willingness of Jesus to eat with anyone not in open, eager opposition to the kingdom. Eat with people. In South Louisiana, that's a pretty easy sell. Invite people over to the house. Go over to their house. Go out to eat. Eat with people. If you know me for long, you know that I love to eat with people. Redemptive relationships happen around a table full of food. And here's why. Hospitality opens the door for honest conversations and questions. So Solomon throws the doors wide open to the queen. And his hospitality paves the way for some great conversation. Look at verses 1 through 3 in chapter 10. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of Yahweh, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a great, very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he couldn't explain to her. So the queen shows up with a list of questions. Now, the people in your life who are close to you but far from God, they probably don't roll up to your house with a list of questions in their pocket. But there's only so long that you can talk about the food you're eating or the weather before you have to talk about something that actually means something. So be excited to talk with your new friend about whatever they want to talk about. Are they interested in politics? Fantastic. Let's talk about politics. It's okay. You can Let's talk about the world. Let's talk about what's messed up in our world. Let's talk about how it can be actually fixed. We all know the world's broken. We agree there. So let's talk about where does the resolution come from? They want to talk about work? Great. Let's talk about work. Let's talk about how our work benefits the world or doesn't. Let's talk about do, do, do our lives have purpose or meaning or is it just dust? that ultimately equates to nothing. Now, some of these conversations could be very intense if you were to take that turn with it. But every conversation we have with somebody, family, let's talk about, they want to talk about their kids, great. Let's talk about life. Let's talk about love. Let's talk about legacy. The things that people want to talk about are always an opportunity to talk about real things, meaningful things like the Lord and like truth. You don't have to be a weirdo though. 
You don't have to shoehorn God into every conversation. Just look for opportunities to speak God's truth. Solomon was ready to answer every question. We usually aren't. That's okay. You're not Jesus, right? We just point him to the one who has the answer. So hospitality creates space to have these honest, meaningful conversations, to ponder life's difficult questions together. It's a two-way street, though. So I encourage you to listen. The goal here is not for you to be the solution to every problem they have. You want Jesus to be that. And so I find it enjoyable. What do you think will fix the world? Let's live in that space. Let's chew on that together. And then when they return the favor, then I share freely about Jesus. And we live in that and we chew on that together. It's a two-way street of hospitality. But that's not the only reason that hospitality paves the way for redemptive relationships. Hospitality also opens the path for a relationship to become more serious. So when the Queen of Sheba rolls up in Jerusalem, she was looking for more than a pen pal. Look at verse 2. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices, very much gold, and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. Why does she show up with all this stuff? Most likely, this is an invitation to a political alliance. When a leader shows up in town with this kind of display, they're saying, here's what I have to offer you in an alliance. What can you offer me? Now, I don't think we have any royalty here in our midst. So what does that application have for us? If someone is actually willing to come over to your house and sit down with you, or this is even more wild, if someone will open their house to you and you can sit down face to face and eat with them, that means they're open to more than a casual acquaintance. People in the 21st century, this was true in the 20th century as well, are absolutely starved for friends. Every one of us. We're starved for real, authentic intimacy. So what does that mean for you, Christian? It doesn't make your neighbors an easy mark for Jesus. Please disabuse yourself of that way of thinking. Instead, love your neighbor. Serve your neighbor. Be a friend. Be yourself. Speak the truth and love them. If you're not speaking the truth, you're not loving them. This is what a friend does. And if someone will sit in your house or they'll let you sit in their house, that means they want a friend. And if you can establish a meaningful, lasting friendship, what does that do? Hospitality opens the path for people to see the impact of a life lived for Christ. And that's exactly what the Queen of Sheba saw in Solomon. So look at verses 3 through 5. He opens his doors. What does she see? Verse 3. Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he couldn't explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of Yahweh. There was no more breath in her. Solomon's life took this woman's breath away. This isn't implying romance. It's saying she is stunned by what she observed in this man's life. And all of this happened because of hospitality. He was hospitable, and these things followed. 
So if you want redemptive relationships with non-Christians, you must prioritize hospitality in your life. But second, you must prioritize service. Imitate how Jesus served and served with those who are not yet believers. I like that language of not yet believers. I, I assume everybody I know is going to trust Jesus until they absolutely prove otherwise to me. Because I think Jesus is the most intoxicating, amazing, astonishing man that has ever lived because he was God in human flesh. So when I meet a person, I'm just waiting for them to see in Jesus what you and I have seen in him. So the Queen of Sheba was not only served by Solomon, she also saw how Solomon served others. And those acts of service revealed his true heart. It showed what he really believed, his true faith. And when we serve people, or when we invite them to serve with us, they're seeing our beliefs in action. So before you invite somebody to church or giving some hard evangelistic call to a friend, it might be worth pausing and asking, have they seen my faith in action yet? Should I invite this person to serve with me? Or perhaps we ask God in prayer, how can I palpably show your love to this person? How can I serve them? Granted, you can ask anybody anytime to come to church or to believe in Jesus. I just think I've done door-to-door witnessing many times before. I've done plenty of cold call evangelistic conversations on college campuses and all over the place. There's value in that. My experience, however, is that people are more likely to respond and say, yeah, I'll come to church with you. Or I'd like to know more about Jesus. Yeah, I'll read the Gospel of John with you. They're more likely to do that if they've seen the real-time tangible effects of your faith. So serve them love them, or invite them to serve with you. Now, as a church, we could probably offer, we could stand to offer more opportunities for you to serve in St. Tammany. If you look at what we do as a church, this is one of our our holes we need to patch. This is something our elders have been talking about and strategizing about to give you these chances regularly to serve the community and to take others to serve with you. Regardless of the holes in our ministry, I think the principle still stands that palpable service is a helpful step in cultivating redemptive relationships. If you want redemptive relationships with non-Christians, you've got to prioritize hospitality in your life, but also service. Serve those people or invite them to serve with you. But finally, you need to prioritize courage. You've got to imitate Jesus' confidence in saying, come follow Jesus with me. I've known you guys for a long time, and I am very confident that you want people to hear about Jesus, that you want people to see the gospel lived out in your life. You want them to be Christians. But if you, the normal, ordinary Christian like me, there's really nothing special about a pastor in that sense. If we ordinary Christians never tell our neighbors about Jesus, if we never invite them to believe in Jesus, what are we doing? But consider this. If you've developed a genuine friendship with someone, you've eaten together a bunch, you've served them, you've been serving with them, if this friendship has been going on for a while, why would you not invite them to believe in Jesus? Again, if as you're eating, you're liberally speaking the truth. 
if as you're serving, you're liberally speaking the truth, once you get to that point, it's real easy to say, why don't you believe in Jesus yet? Why don't you come follow Jesus with me? You've got so much history at that point from which to have that conversation. Again, listen to what the Queen of Sheba says in verse 9. Blessed be Yahweh your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because Yahweh loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. This is a powerful theological statement from this woman. They've clearly had some conversations. They clearly have some water under the bridge. She's worshipped with Solomon. At the very least, she's seen him worshipping, offering burnt offerings. She's seen and heard a lot. So like Solomon, our hospitality and service must be littered with verbal expressions of our faith in Jesus. Just like Jesus, Solomon was talking about God while he was eating, while he was serving, while he was cultivating this friendship. So as the queen's leaving town, she's leaving praising the Lord. Evangelistic courage begins with being able to say the name Jesus in the context of the dinner table. If you can't casually talk about Jesus with a friend, just like when you're eating dinner, It will be exponentially harder one day to ask them to give their whole life to Jesus. But if you start there, I'll give you an example. When you have people who come over to your house who who don't share your faith, pray before dinner and explain, we follow Jesus and uh, we believe everything good we have comes from him. And so before dinner, we pray. So uh, let's pray together. And pray in the name of Jesus. It it doesn't have to be that complicated. Or, you know, we're talking about politics or family or whatever. Bring up Jesus. What do I think is going to bring justice in the world? I am very happy telling my non-Christian friends, don't ever expect justice in this world. There will never be perfect justice until Jesus comes back. That is, my, that is my complete and total belief. Now, we can hope for justice. We can work for justice, pray for justice. But as long as we have sinners on the throne in this world, we will not have perfect peace. We will not have perfect justice. You have these conversations, just share what you believe. And then, down the road, you can say, come, follow Jesus with me. But that would take a lot of courage. But consider this. I'm not asking you to be an evangelist. Not everyone is called and equipped to fill the office of evangelist in the church. I'm just encouraging you to be honest with what you actually believe. You want to be a friend? Be honest. Share what you believe. Be consistent with your faith. And if you're doing that through that hospitality and in times of service, when it gets to the invitation down the road, that becomes a very achievable reality. Your courage will be built up a bit where you can tell somebody, hey, do you want... This thing that I've been talking about, do you want the hope that I have, the peace that I have in Jesus Christ? Because you can have it too. Well, we don't know whether the Queen of Sheba converted to Yahweh or not, and it doesn't matter for our purposes. Because we're not commanded to only be friends with people until they make a decision about Jesus. Somebody rejects Jesus, oh, well, friendship's over. No, Jesus just told us to be a good neighbor. Jesus showed us what hospitality, service, and courage look like. So my invitation to you, Christian, is this. Be a friend. 
If you want redemptive relationships with non-Christians, prioritize hospitality, service, and courage. And if in the process you gain a little bit of weight, that's okay. That's all right. Where do we start? Where do we start? Maybe you feel like you've got hospitality and service down. Those are key parts of your life already. So my question for you is, what does it look like to prayerfully have a little more courage? To bring up Jesus casually in conversation or to invite an unbelieving friend to believe? Pray about that. Chew on that. Now, maybe you don't have the hospitality and service down pat, but maybe you got the hospitality thing in place. What's next for you? It's time to serve, to serve that person that doesn't know Jesus or to invite them to serve the community with you. What do you think that would look like for you? That'd be something to pray and talk to your family and friends about. Or maybe you got to start with that first piece, hospitality. What would it look like for you to create space in your life and in your calendar to sit down and eat with your non-Christian neighbors, coworkers, family? Maybe set aside a, a, a night once a month or even once a week to show hospitality. The goal here is not to target somebody, but to make a grand strategy to change your lifestyle. It's a priority change. It's a calendar change. If you want redemptive relationships with non-Christians, prioritize hospitality, service, and courage in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for preserving this story from Solomon's life. It's a great example to us that reminds us of the greater example in your son, Jesus. Help us to live and lead in our lives like Christ did. Help us to have these kinds of relationships with all of our neighbors, regardless of their faith. Otherwise, how will they hear the good news? That Jesus Christ has come, that he has lived, died, and risen, that they may be restored to God. So, Father, may we, Faith Presbyterian Church, may we be the most hospitable, serving, and courageous people in the way we interact with our neighbors, that the name of Jesus and his hope would be known in St. Tammany Parish. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.